This is episode 310 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are, What Will Work After an EMP Attack? An Urban Survival Course with Selco, Noise, Light, and Your Mind Playing Tricks. And How to Determine When It's Really SHTF Instead of a Blowover. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, the book is an easy read. You'll get through in it about 20 or 30 minutes. But the real power behind the ebook is the, the preparedness website community over at the forums. And so when you do purchase the ebook for $6.49, you do get lifetime membership and lifetime access to the prepper website forums where not only do we talk about micro businesses and how we can help each other, but also just regular old preparedness uh, forums where we talk about food storage and and uh, wilderness survival and all that good stuff that's there. So uh, definitely something to look into it. If you are interested, there is a link in the show notes and also over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, before we get into the articles, I just want to let you know that there was a, a review. We recently received another review and I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that because I'm very grateful when we do receive those reviews. It means a whole lot to me and it also helps um, you know, show up in, in iTunes a, a little bit more when people start searching for preparedness and preppers. Um, this one's by EVH and she gave us a five-star review and she says, I am new to prepping and I appreciate having a new podcast to listen to early every morning as I get ready. Reading two articles with just enough commentary is about perfect. I visit the website daily and read other articles of interest. It is nice to have a single website that consolidates articles from other sites. It saves a lot of time searching. Also leads you to new sites to bookmark for later. Keep up the great work, Todd. Well, EVH, thanks so much for leaving that um, review. Really do appreciate it. And guys, if you do want to leave a review, if you do find value in the Prepper Website Podcast, you can go over to iTunes and leave us a review there. Uh, Like I said, greatly appreciate it when you do that. All right, before we get into the podcast uh, articles, uh, this episode is going to be one of those that talks about, you know, those big like EMP, SHTF, poop hitting the fan, what you do then, you know. So I just want to give you that heads up there. Uh, Our first article comes to us from smartpreppergear.com. And uh, the title is, What Will Work After an EMP Attack? Let me preface this article by saying there is a wide range of ideas when it comes to EMPs. Um, There really has never been a true EMP scenario happen in real true life. They've tested it, uh, but it's always been very controlled. And so there's been some kind of like accident EMPs as far as maybe the military kind of uh, was testing something and it went a little too far. You know, you hear the stories about, you know, things happening in the Pacific and knocking out power in Hawaii and, and different things like that. 
but there's just a wide range of uh, situations or things that could possibly happen that people talk about. So you have the everyone from uh, the spectrum. It, you know, it's like everything else that we talk about, even in preparedness. You have people that prepare for hurricanes and hurricane season, which is starting here real soon uh, for us in the Gulf Coast and, in, and for actually for all everybody on the, on the coast, if you live on the coast. And so you have anywhere from preparing for hurricanes all the way up to there's people that prepare for you know nuclear war or alien invasion or you know EMP and you know all all that kind of you know polar shift and and the ice caps melting and all that kind of stuff right so everything in between there and so same thing with EMPs you'll have people that talk about you know what we're going to be blasted back to the stone ages and then you have other people like well it's not going to be that bad some people are like, oh, cars, you need to have like a 1960s car. And other people are like, no, nah, the cars aren't going to be that affected. You know, it might stall out, but then you'll just pull over to the side and start it again and it'll work. And so, you you know, we, I've read articles like that. If you've, if you've been a longtime listener, you've heard those articles before in the past. This one's going to be more along the lines of, hey, if there was an EMP, bad things can happen. But just kind of keep that into perspective because I try to give all the perspectives on uh, on the podcast, and you really gotta you know do your own research as well. But I try to just lay a bunch of different ideas out there, and you really gotta sift through them yourself. So let's go ahead and read this one again from SmartPrepperGear.com. What will work after an EMP attack? Devastating. If there is only one word that could describe what an EMP attack on the United States would be like, devastating would be it. So one of the thoughts that crossed many preppers' mind is what will work after an EMP attack. The rest of your life would literally change following an EMP attack. That is not an exaggeration because life would literally return to the Stone Ages. Should an EMP device be detonated high enough above the atmosphere, the entire power grid across most of, the North, America, most of North America would collapse. What does this mean for you? It means there will be no more electricity. It means your TVs, computers, and phones will no longer work. It means your cars most likely won't work. More on this later. It means airplanes would not no longer work and would fall from the sky. Electronic banking would no longer be possible. The supply trucks would stop rolling. The economy would collapse. And when that happens, you can guarantee there will be chaos. The once peaceful and delicate community you live in now will become a war zone. People will take to the streets, looting all the stores and restaurants and businesses in the area. The normal people you once knew will become savages. They will turn on one another for food and supplies. Organized raiding parties will form and prey on the innocent. Every single second of your life will be all about survival and keeping an eye out for threats. What's worse is the catastrophe is not something that could be solved in a short time period. You know, guys, as I was reading that, I know some of you are like, man, this is going to be a gloomy podcast for some of you. The idea here, though, is like, guys, we get some of these ideas so that we we have them in the back of our minds to, to help us understand how bad things could possibly get. But we don't do it because of fear. You're not living uh, out of fear here. It's more of the informational aspect of it. And, you know, where, you know, what would you do? And so it kind of gets you thinking a little bit. I, and so as I was reading that, I'm like, man, because I know some of these other articles are going to really 
uh, is to really put a damper maybe on your day. And so I just want to, before we go any further, that, you know, let it, let it, uh, you know, listen to, listen to the articles, uh, definitely that I'm, that I'm reading. But also at the same time, you know, I want you to you know, understand the reason that we prep is to mitigate, you know, a lot. Not only this, I mean, this is like I said, the real poop hit the fan type stuff. We mitigate everyday, you know, situations that we're in and, and we move from there. You know, if you build preparedness every single day into your life, when these types of things, if they ever come, you know, you are more likely to go through those things with, you know, uh, more of a uh, a better head on your shoulders, right? Because you are thinking about preparedness. You know more about preparedness. So, uh, I mean, I just wanted to say that because I was as I was reading that, I'm like, you know what? I don't want someone who is new to prepping just kind of freaking all out on me on this episode. All right. So uh, with that, let me go ahead and keep going here. So what should you expect? The United States is so woefully underprepared for an EMP attack. Even the most conservative estimates are that it would take at least 10 years for the country to recover. During that time, over 90% of the American population will be killed by starvation, dehydration, disease, murder, and suicide. This is what will happen when literally nothing works. No more electronics, no more power, no more heat and electricity, no more vehicles, no more internet, no more self-service. What will work after an EMP attack? That's what we're going to talk about today. As part of your preparation for the EMP, you will want to stock up on the items that will continue to work. Here is an outline and discussion of the various items that will continue to work after an EMP attack. First one is batteries. Now this one has an asterisk next to it because even though batteries will continue to function after an EMP attack, there is a decent possibility that any electronic devices that are battery operated will not. For example, will your battery power phone or flashlight work after an EMP blast? It really depends on where they are. If they're outside in the open, they're most likely to be fried. But if they are stored in concrete or metal buildings, there is a possibility that they will continue to work. We will also recommend placing your cell phones and other small electronics in a Faraday bag. Regardless, since batteries will still be functioning following an EMP attack, it will be a good idea to stock up on them. AA, AAA, 9V, CD, and etc. Books. There is absolutely no question that the internet will be down after an EMP and you will no longer be able to go online. As a result, you will no longer be able to read articles or watch YouTube videos to gain knowledge from online, nor will you be able to read books on your Kindle device because your device will be fried. Therefore, your only way to gain new knowledge will be through books. And this is why you'll be very thankful you had a full bookshelf after the EMP hits. If you don't yet have very many books in your possession, change that. You'll want to have a large variety of books in your possession, including the following types. Religious texts, classic novels, any genre you personally enjoy reading, children's books, comics books if you enjoy reading them, first aid books, car repair maintenance books, gardening books, self-defense guides, philosophical books, homesteading guides, wilderness survival guides, disaster preparedness guides, blog articles on survival, print them out and store them in a binder, and ebooks on survival. Some are available in paperback forms that you can order now through Amazon. Hey, so um, that 
idea here, this second to last one that I just read, the blog articles on survival, I just released a video on YouTube on how to download articles from the internet with this nice little extension that you take out all the stuff that you don't want. So you can you can uh, delete pictures, you can delete lines, you can delete advertisements, you can delete all that kind of stuff, and you're just left with the with the really good stuff that you want. And so to be able to save paper and to consolidate it and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But I think it's a great video to uh, or a great extension to have if you are someone who is saving articles online. This makes it very, very easy. All right, continuing on in this section, each of the above categories of books will provide you either with entertainment value or valuable information. You will need both to survive in a post-EMP world or both. The more books you have in your possession, the better. Remember, they may need to last you for 10 years or more. Note, in addition to books, you'll want to have plenty of writing paper, notebooks, sketch pads, and writing utensils like pens, pencils, highlighters, markers, crayons, etc. Next is cars. Here's another one that has an asterisk to it. Only two asterisks this time because the vast majority of vehicles most likely will not work after an EMP attack. This is assuming that the blast is strong enough and within close enough proximity. In fact, chances are good that all automobiles produced after 1990 will either not work or at least be damaged after an EMP attack. Various scientific tests have been conducted with electromagnetic pulses in controlled environments and these tests have met mixed results. Sometimes the cars quit working and don't restart. Other times they shut off but turn on again afterwards. Regardless, there's no question that the cars of today and for the last several years are very dependent on microprocessors and computers in order to run. And if the enemies of the United States wanted to deal a truly devastating blow to us, you can guarantee that the blast will be quite strong and be a significant threat to automobiles. As a result, you need to prepare for an EMP attack with the assumption that the car sitting in your driveway will no longer work. This is assuming they were produced after 1990. So if you do want a functioning automobile that will work after an EMP attack, what do you need to do? Buy a car that will be completely unaffected by the EMP. Yes, even though most vehicles will be rendered useless by the EMP, what will work after an EMP attack is several well-made but used vehicles. Those made in the 1970s and 1980s are popular choices among preppers due to the strong likelihood that they will be unaffected by the EMP. Examples include Jeeps, GMC or Chevrolet Blazers, Ford Broncos, Land Rovers, and Toyota Hilux pickup trucks made before 1990. Each of these is all-wheel drive and are reliable vehicles. All right, so that is, you know, the, the car thing, you know, is one of those things that I remember reading. There were very few that were damaged, like completely damaged beyond the ability to, to restart. I think there was one. Uh, when, when talking about that one report, I think that he's, he's highlighting here. Again, it's going to go back to looking at the dates of those vehicles because I cannot remember that. But, uh, you know, again, we're gonna, we need to do some research there. All right, the next thing is cash. When you consider what will work after an EMP attack, you might immediately think about money. Electronic banking using ATM machines and online transactions will no longer be a possibility after an EMP attack. But what will work after an EMP attack is cold, hard cash. At least in the hours or days after the blast, cash will serve as your only way to buy and sell things other than basic bartering items. 
The things to be careful about, however, is that money will most certainly suffer from hyperinflation in the days following an EMP attack. What you need to do then is have a strong reserve of cash in your home. $500 at the bare minimum, $1,000 to $2,000 would be preferable at all times. Immediately after the EMP has happened, take that money and go right down to the store before the looters get there. Offer the manager or the owner all or a good portion of that money in exchange for any food and supplies that you can take with you and let them keep the change. This is not a waste of money because, again, that cash will become worthless as a result of hyperinflation and furthermore, this will be your last chance to grab things at the store before they are looted. Faraday cages and anything you put in them. If you want an almost surefire way of knowing what will work after an EMP attack and that won't in regards to electronic items, keeping them inside a Faraday cage at the time of the EMP blast is your best bet. Named after Michael Faraday, a scientist who lived in Great Britain in the 1800s, a Faraday cage is simply any container or enclosure that can shield the contents inside from an electromagnetic field. Faraday cages are also incredibly cheap and easy to make using materials you likely already have. For example, you can build a Faraday cage out of nothing more than a galvanized metal trash can and cardboard, or you can build one by covering a cardboard box with at least three layers of heavy-duty aluminum foil. With both of these examples, wrap your electronic item in a towel and then in plastic wrapping before placing it into the cage for added protection. Since you won't be able to recharge your electronic items in a power outlet anymore after an EMP, invest in a solar charger to go with it. Does a Faraday cage guarantee that your phone or laptop will still work after an EMP? No, but it greatly increases the likelihood and for that reason alone is worth building. Guns and Ammo One of your top priorities following the EMP will be security. You must be prepared to defend your properties, supplies, your family, and yourself from looters and mobs and raiding parties, and you need to have the weaponry to successfully do it. And guess what? Guns will definitely work after an EMP attack, as well as ammunition, and you definitely need both if you want to mount a successful defense of your home. At the bare minimum, the, there are five guns that you will be wise to own. A 22 rifle, shotgun, semi-automatic pistol, semi-automatic defensive rifle, and a hunting rifle. Try to buy a firearm that meets each of these categories and then store a minimum of 500 rounds per weapon. 1,000 rounds or more would be preferable because remember, this has to last you for 10 years potentially. Note, even though your guns won't be unaffected by an EMP attack, an electronic safe will be. This means if you store all of your guns in an electronic safe, you may not be able to access them after the EMP goes off. It's just something to think about. Solar panels. Here we have another asterisk because even though solar panels should technically survive an EMP attack, they will also be damaged. As a golden rule, expect your solar panels to have their output reduced by around 10%, maybe a little more or a little less after an EMP attack, but they will continue to work and that's what's important. Note, while your solar panels can weather an EMP, the solar charger controller, which charges the batteries, and the voltage inverter, which converts battery power, will definitely not. Keep one of each in a Faraday cage if you want to be able to use your solar panels after an EMP. Tools. Tools that need to be hooked up to power in order to run will be useless after an EMP. 
but what will work after the EMP attack are basic hand tools that don't involve power or electronics of any kind. These include hammers, nails, screwdrivers, screws, knives, hatchets, axes, sledgehammers, saws, wrenches, sockets, etc. Basic tools such as these will work after an EMP attack and you will definitely want to have them after an EMP. Now is the time to stock up on these kinds of tools before it's too late. And guys, I've said it before, I think just tools are a good investment. If you invest in some really good tools, uh, I think that's always something uh, good to have. All right, the conclusion. An electromagnetic pulse attack upon the United States is going to be bad no matter how you slice it. But you can become more prepared by stocking up on items that will work after an EMP attack, including the items that we have covered in this article. So, while your car may not work, an older model of car may While your phone or laptop won't work after an EMP, protecting it in a Faraday cage may be able to save it. While you won't be able to access information online anymore, you can still access the same information through physical copies of books. You can still live in a post-EMP world, and your survival will always be made easier if you invest in these kinds of items. All right, guys. So, like I said, this is you know one of those EMP articles that's over on the the side of we're going back to the Stone Ages. Uh, in, in fact, I think actually the those words were used in this article. And uh, I have read other articles before on the podcast where you know there there could be some damage. There might be some damage, but it's not going to be as bad as you know being blasted back to the Stone Ages or the 1800s uh, along those lines. So what I'm going to do, if you're interested in EMP, which a lot of people seem to be, like this is one of those topics where everybody, uh, and I've, I've said it before, If I know that if I link to an article on Prepper website that has EMP in, in, the, uh, in the title, I know that people are going to, you know, that's going to be a high clicked on article, right? And so uh, if you are interested in more EMP information, I am going to link to the the EMP tag cloud. And so you can go and get a lot of, you know, just go research, just look through those articles and you'll be able to see a whole bunch of different ideas and understandings of EMP and how they will actually affect you. And so you can kind of go make your own decisions from there, but I will link to that in the show notes. Our next article comes to us from theorganicprepper.com. And it's entitled, An Urban Survival Course with Selco, Noise, Light, and Your Mind Playing Tricks. And so uh, this is a, a shorter article as far as, you know, Daisy puts out and with Selco. So uh, that's one reason why we have three articles here to, today. But uh, a good article here as far as things that we need to, uh, to consider. And so let's go ahead and get right into this one. And remember, guys, I'm going to read it like, uh, like it's actually written. And that way, it kind of keeps the um, you know the, the way that Selco has written it. So uh, let's go ahead and start reading. Note: If you missed the first article in the Urban Survival Course series, go here to read it. Today, we'll continue on with Selco as he teaches us the lessons students learned in his last course in Croatia. Urban survival keeping a low profile. Hollywood industry fiction survival books and our imagination over the many years kind of taught us to expect big things and to think in big terms when SHTF. As a result, a lot of preppers forgot to use common sense in preparing and thinking. Actually, they forgot to be aware and to notice little things around them. 
they were expecting big things, so they forgot small things and techniques that are actually important. That can eventually get you in trouble or get you killed. To understand better how things can be hard when SHTF, you need to put into perspective how noise and light work in different situations, or in other words, how light and noise can be your enemy or friend depending on what situation you find yourself in during SHTF. So noise. Often you have seen in the movies or read in a book how someone sneaks up on someone or through some building. In reality, students are shown that there are no ninja warriors. Remember, we are talking about average folks here. If they are forced to survive in some dangerous situations, they simply need to know some basic techniques for of walking or sneaking, a lot of time and patience, proper clothes, not noisy definitely, proper preparations before taking action, like checking for things in pockets that make noise, etc., and a lot of practice. But the highlight is on time. You need time to do it the safe and secure way, even if you are highly trained. So in reality, if it is dangerous, it may take you an hour to cover 20 meters sometimes. Definitely, it is not like in the movies. You can use sound in surroundings or background to cover your movement. For example, in this photo, it may be the sound of waves or wind through the trees. But again, you need a lot of time and skill. And so the picture has uh, some stairs with just a lot of rocks and stuff that would make a lot of noise if you were uh, you know, walking up the stairs here. Now, put that in perspective of real urban survival and a situation where you need to check some buildings, for example, to take shelter that looks abandoned with things on the ground that simply make too much sound. Sometimes it is impossible. Sometimes it does not make sense to even try. Moving in a group and staying quiet is a skill that is possible to learn. Through the familiarization of group members, the use of hand signals, and proper preparing, again, proper equipment, footwear, clothes, that technique makes sense to be put to the test in a hard situation like dark and bad weather, rain and wind, where you can try to use that weather and night in your favor. It's also important to see how everything can easily go against you. Conversation, signals in pitch dark, loss of orientation, losing group members. Light. If you tell average students groups to start a fire so they can prepare a quick meal or make coffee, most of them will make a huge fire big enough to cook a boar on. If you tell them to turn on the flashlight to find something in their backpack, a lot of them will turn on a torch that will burn their eyes of all the people around them, affecting their night vision badly. Strong torches and big fires make sense sometimes, but in urban survival, prepping, staying undetected is a big priority, and you need to adopt that kind of philosophy first. Planning your movement during the day and taking that particular route during the night, even in an urban environment in SHTF settings, can be two completely different things, even if you saw or went through that area during the day. It is very easy to get disoriented in pitch dark and known buildings are not known anymore. Distance may look completely different and the combination of everything may be very dangerous if you are not aware of that. In the photo above, there is a camping fire not hidden in an abandoned building in an area where there is no other light. It is clearly visible from 200 to 300 meters. And then your mind. What do you see in this photo? 
So there is a picture of a person, um, I guess, you know, like in a white suit pretty far away. It says the photo above is taken after midnight in an area where students did not expect people to be. The students were driving with us in a car during one of the exercises. Students after the encounter described the man as a very tall, two meters or six feet, five inch person in a full white bodysuit, probably a man with no good intention, a drug dealer, a body disposal. The encounter lasted a few seconds. After that, they made camp in a close vicinity to where the man in the white bodysuit disappeared into the bush. And of course, their minds continued to play dark scenarios in their heads for rest of the night. They did not have a nice night because of that. In reality, it was one of our ghost instructors. He wore full camo and a clown mask. Both were very visible, much better than in photo. But in the given circumstances, very late and a strange person walking slowly in an area where there is not supposed to be anybody, the student's mind offered a solution of what man is there and his intention. Your mind will play tricks on you in survival situations. If you are in an uncommon situation or you are not very experienced when you are not sure what you see or hear, your mind will offer you an answer. Often, that answer may be wrong, which may lead you to make some bad decisions. It is the reality of SHTF. Learn to use your skills under pressure. A big part of the course is using your skills and techniques under pressure when you are not sure what is what and that is a topic for other article. You can avoid that by training, rechecking how things work in the real world, what is visible from what distance, what can you hear from where, how many details can you spot and memorize, how good your orientation skills are. All that can be practiced in normal times, some in nature while hiking, some while drinking coffee in town by observing the people around you. Again, it is not about ninja warriors. It is about being aware of the world around you in different settings. All right, guys. So uh, again, short article, but uh, a good one in thinking about that. I think the, the mind playing tricks on you is one of those, you know, I think everyone's kind of experienced that when you're in a situation where you're not familiar, uh, say you're camping, say you're out, or, you know, even if you're, uh, you're not out in the woods or anything, you might be just in unfamiliar situation and you know your your mind starts to play tricks on you and you think you saw something you think you heard something and uh, you kind of go from there but a lot of uh, good information here as far as the light and uh, the noise and things that you don't always think about you know every single day and uh, when he was moving around i know that i've read so many of his articles moving around that was probably one of the things you really need to be sure of is, is being quiet while you were moving so uh, good article and uh, go check that out. Like always, I will link to all of these articles in the show notes. This one again came from to us came to us from theorganicprepper.com and uh, there are links and also pictures here that you might want to uh, check out. All right, our last article comes to us from modernsurvivalblog.com and it's entitled How to Determine When It's Really SHTF Instead of a Blowover. And so this article, I believe, was uh, kind of started taken from someone's comment uh, and, uh, you know, kind of gone from there. And so this might be one that you want to go uh, check out because there's like 138 comments here 
where people just, you know, are giving, uh, you know, more information and just kind of, it takes on, the article winds up taking on a life of its own in the comment section. So you might want to go check this one out. So let's go ahead and read this one. How to determine when it's really SHTF instead of a blowover. An MSB reader recently said, quote, Where I live semi-rural, there is enough currently reported lawlessness, illegal drugs, and people living paycheck to paycheck, unable to replace a flat tire in the middle of winter driving on a donut spare to give me reason to be concerned. Most well-off I see are living by the credit cards and minimum payments. When the snap cards and such stop, it will not be pretty. For myself, the big concern is deciding when to raise the drawbridge to know enough to act decisively to the level of committed defense actions. End quote. Ken adds, he brings up a very good topic for discussion and one that is as serious as a heart attack. Many preppers may be avoiding this issue or have false notions about it. However, regarding defensive security of one's castle, you better think about this. When to raise the drawbridge, how to know when it's really SHTF without rule of law, to plan specific levels of defense depending on SHTF timeline. He goes on to say, quote, if you start shooting folks for stealing and it's not as far along the SHTF timeline as you think, getting arrested and jailed is a poor place to be in when the rest of the SHTF situation occurs, end quote. More thoughts. Strong defenses and varied responses to threats like zone control. Bear spray instead of instant, decisive, life-changing behavior response to allow us time to know if it's a local issue or full-on SHTF without rule of law event. How to determine when to bump up our violence levels. Almost everybody makes the assumption that we will know when it is SHTF. Going to jail before full-on SHTF or RAW, which is without rule of law, will be very hard on your family. Ken's thoughts on how to determine if really SHTF or if it's really SHTF or raw. It is perhaps too presumptuous to imagine being transformed into a mindset of tactical lethal force to deal with perceived threats following what is believed to be major SHTF. To avoid making horrible and life-changing decisions in this regard, a responsible prepper better heed very serious due diligence to determine the real level of SHTF and then adjust one's security responses accordingly. My general advice is this. Intel, 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 intelligence, get some. The key to what we're talking about here is really this, without rule of law. You will need to determine if SHTF has broken down to the extent of RAL. Not only that, but how widespread RAL and will RAL return. If there's no longer any rule of law, no police, law enforcement, system of justice in your town, locality, or area, but there's still rule of law in the rest of the region, state, or country, then you're still dealing with the rule of law. Take actions accordingly, because you will likely or eventually be held accountable. If SHTF has devolved into complete widespread or temporary breakdown, but eventually somehow returns to something of its former self regarding rule of law, then chances are you will be held accountable under that rule of law. On the other hand, 
if the worst happens and societal chaos has uprooted the tree to the extent of no return, this may be another situation altogether. Ham radio, shortwave radio, any radio. Tune in, scan the dials, listen, hear and discover what's going on elsewhere. Since we're talking about hypothetical, real SHTF, what you will be hearing, if anything, on the airwaves will have to do with what's going on. Others with ham radios reporting their news and discovering for themselves what's happening everywhere else. Discover if the event is widespread. Discover what others are reporting and doing. You will need to decide and use your best judgment as to the extent of breakdown. Is it going to be temporary, permanent, in between? What's the severity? What's being done about it? Is government or law enforcement taking action or non-existent? Where is the worst? And adjust accordingly. When is lethal force justified? Does your state have a castle doctrine? And there is a link here to, uh, to that. Under current law, which varies state by state, you should already know and understand when lethal force is justified where you live. During SHTF, if the situation that presents itself is not justified under normal rule of law, will you be crossing that line? Why? Are there other actions that you might take instead? I'm just suggesting that you think about this. Anybody else have any concerns on how to determine when it is really SHTF instead of a blow over situation? And so, like I said, guys, there's 100 and, uh, 139 comments here uh, in this uh, in this article. So uh, a lot of good stuff here. If this is something maybe that you're thinking about or you have thought about and you'd like to you know, see what other people say and, and what they're thinking, you might want to come on over to uh, you know, modernsurvivalblog.com uh, in the link or in the show notes where, where I'll link to it and uh, come check it out and see what other people are saying uh, because this might be something you're interested in. It's very important to decide, you know, how far you are willing to go and what you're willing to, uh, how you're willing to defend yourself and your family, you know, in situations. And so, um, you know, I think this is something that everyone should kind of pay attention to. So, uh, like always, I'm going to link to this one in the show notes as well. All right, guys, like I said before, I know that uh, this episode could come off a little gloomy for some. Uh, That's definitely not the intent. The intent is to get you to think about some of these things and to, uh, you know, when you think about them ahead of time, then it's so much easier to figure out, you know, what you would do. You're coming up with a plan. You are, you know, you're processing this through. Maybe you're talking about it with your spouse. Maybe you're talking about it with other people that you know and uh, being able to, you know, bounce some things off of each other and uh, for your local situation. So that's the purpose. The purpose is to mitigate, you know, where, you know, if we find ourselves in a situation like this. But also, I think there's some good ideas for just when you start thinking about these types of things, I think you become more aware of just your your society and where you where you're at, where you where you're living and uh, how you're seeing things. And so I think that is prudent in today's society. So again, I hope you are not finding that you are just you know gloomy coming off of this this episode. Definitely, the intent is to uh, to get you thinking and to be more prepared, like always. All right, guys, uh, that is it for episode three hundred and ten. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the Prepper website podcast dot com. We have all the different links there that so that you can link to your favorite podcast catcher. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. 
Hey, and take a moment to connect with me. Don't forget to come on over to the Facebook page uh, and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Hey, don't forget also that uh, if you are interested in the in the Prepper website forums, uh, come pick up that ebook and uh, you know, get access to the forums. We'd love to see you there as well. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.